Good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. I'm glad that you're with us. I hope you stick with us because tonight we're going to continue a break from the book of Acts. I hope you caught that video I recorded and posted last week on quiet confidence. But tonight we're going to continue our break with a look at Isaiah chapter 40. This is a big chapter. Isaiah chapter 40. I don't mean big like long, but it is powerful. It's huge. And we're going to spend a lot of our time trying to fully appreciate its message. Because Isaiah chapter 40 gives a promise of comfort and strength to a weary and beat up people. So, hence the question mark. Because it's kind of a chapter in the Bible that's like that one optimistic friend that you have, that no matter what's going on, that friend who's always like, hey, it's all good. It's great. In fact, it's even better than great. It's amazing. That's Isaiah 40. So when we're talking about comfort and strength to a people who've been knocked down, beat up, or perhaps quarantined, and uncertain about school and the future, you might wonder, is it too good to be true? That's what we're going to be looking at. So join me in Isaiah chapter 40. But before we get to Isaiah chapter 40, I would love it if we could just take a moment together to breathe, to pause, to become present to God's presence together. We've had a lot going on this week, haven't we? So let's begin by praying together, and I would love to pray for some big things going on in our world right now, and I would love it if you could join me in a refrain, if we could pray like this, God, give comfort and strength through your Holy Spirit. Maybe someone can type that in the chat box. God, give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. So we'll pause and reflect on a particular prayer need, and then we'll all say and pray together, God, give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. Then we'll pray for something else, we'll take a moment, and then we'll say and pray together, God, give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. We're going to start global and work our way down local. So take a breath, become present to God's presence, and when I prompt you, let's pray, God, give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together before we get into Isaiah chapter 40. Almighty God, we come before you in different spaces and places coming from different situations but Lord, our whole world is attentive to Beirut. So Lord, in this moment, we pause to consider the shock and fear that rippled through that city. Lord, we remember the images and the videos that we've seen. And so Lord, we join our hearts together as we pray. God, 
give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we have seen the devastation of hurricanes and storms. In South Texas a couple weeks ago, in Hawaii, and Lord, this week on the East Coast, and we consider our brothers and sisters who have faced loss of property and even family and life. So Lord, we pause to pray together. God, give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. Lord, so many of our children and our brothers and sisters are going to be starting school. Many of them have been back trying to prepare for an unusual year. In Garland, they'll start online Monday, wondering what lays ahead. Lord, for our teachers, for our students, for parents who will be facilitating online education, stretched again this semester. So we pray, God, give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. And finally, Lord, would you hear your people as we turn our hearts and our minds to those in our circles that are struggling, that are starving for connection and renewal. We turn our attention to those in desperate need of comfort, reassurance, and strength. So would you hear our prayer? God, give comfort and strength through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord and King, for we trust in him who is with us now and to the end. Amen. Amen. Thanks for pausing for just a moment to become present to God's presence, to stand our souls at attention before God together because if you're like me, our world and ourselves are longing and yearning for comfort and strength. And that's exactly what Isaiah chapter 40 promises. It's a big, big chapter. So I hope you've turned there or swiped there. We're going to get there in just a moment. So as we begin, you know that kind of movie scene from that fighter Maybe it's a boxer, or it's the showdown of the hero versus the villain, and they're going at it, going at it, and there's always that scene, right? Always that moment where our hero gets knocked down, and the camera angle's kind of wobbly and blurry, and they're looking around, and the villain's like pacing around because he knows that he's got him where he wants him, and the hero is knocked down, and Oh, is he going to make it? And man, you're sitting there screaming at the movie screen, the TV screen. You're saying, come on, you can do it, right? And then all of a sudden, right when it's at its bleakest moment, the hero remembers that voice in his head. Or the hero sees the person they're fighting for. The hero gets inspired and they get just enough to get back up. You know what I'm talking about? Or how about that high school 
football team, that high school basketball team, that college championship, that professional team. The, the clock is ticking down at the last moments, right? <laughs> and they're getting in the timeout. And they're all looking around like, man, I don't know if we can do it, guys. And you're sitting there watching this going, they're, they're, they're going to do it, but okay. And all of a sudden, they get that impassioned speech. Or then they hear the crowd start to chant. And it gives them just what they need to make it the final seconds for the last shot, the last pass, the last moment where they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. You know what I'm talking about. I don't even have to name the movies. You've seen that fighter that's knocked down. You've seen that team in need of a boost. And there's some inspiration. There's some chant that gets them what they need when they need it. Okay? Now, take that. Put Isaiah 40 in a big circle in your Bible and say Isaiah 40 is that chapter at that moment in the story that lifts a knocked down, beaten down people and encourages them with comfort and strength. Show of hands if you are in need of comfort and strength. Show of hands if you're like me, looking ahead toward a new school year, a new season, and it just kind of feels like a continuation and you're in need of some boost, some lift to make it the next step of the journey. Show of hands if you're like me and maybe you took a vacation like our family did a couple weeks ago and you kind of set that in your head of like, I'll worry about all of this after that. But the mile marker, the vacation, the break has come and gone and now you're like, oh, I still need a boost. I still need comfort. I still need strength. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone. And that's why we need Isaiah 40. So to fully appreciate Isaiah 40 and the lift that it gives and knock down, beat down people then, now, we need to talk about a story. We need to talk about some questions. And we need to close with an invitation. I'm going to give you a story to fully appreciate it. I'm going to ask some questions I'm going to leave you with an invitation. You with me? You still good? You got Isaiah 40 going? We're going to run through the whole chapter in just a minute. But first, I got to tell you a story. And in fact, I'm going to tell you the story of the whole Old Testament. I'm going to try to do it in about five to six minutes. So you know I'm trying to, my best, I've got a timer. Okay? So I'm going to start a timer. And I'm going to tell you the whole story of the Old Testament. Because you need to know it to fully appreciate how powerful, how inspirational Isaiah 40 is. You ready? I'm about, I'm about to start the timer. And, and I know people of the neighborhood church are saying, yeah, right, six minutes. You, you ready? Okay. You're going to have to buy me some Chipotle if I get it right. I even have visual aids. Ready? Three, two, one. Whole story of the Old Testament. Go. All right. Now. To really fully appreciate Isaiah 40, we have to fully appreciate the story of a knocked down, beaten down people. And really the story gets going in Genesis chapter 12 with a guy named Abram who changes his name to Abraham. It all changes when God calls him and says, look up at the night sky. Do you see all those stars? 
you're going to have a family, descendants, that outnumber all those stars in the sky. To which Abram says, uh, yeah, right, I'm old, that ship has sailed, no dice. But God says it will come to pass. And he says, better yet, your family is going to be blessed so that through your family, all families of the world will be blessed. That's why I wrote here, blessing. This family is blessed to be a blessing through the whole world. And boy, he does have a huge family. Generations go by, generation after generation, through the story of Joseph, the descendants of Abraham, now called the Hebrew people, wind up in Egypt. And y'all know what happens next, right? When Exodus opens, we see that Pharaoh has seen all of these Hebrew people. There's a lot of them. So he's going to enslave them and oppress them because he doesn't want them to rise up. Well, God rises up Moses. He says, Moses, you need to liberate my people. And I'm going to give you a place to live and a way to live. That's really crucial for people that have been oppressed and enslaved. And God wants to make them a nation. Well, he's got to give them a place He's got to give them away. So what he does is promises them their own land, and he gives them the law after he liberates them. That's what Exodus is about. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. And the Ten Commandments keep being added to. There's more and more. They build a tabernacle. Here's how you live and worship. That's Moses. So the ebbs and flows of that journey into a land and to live with the law is pretty iffy. Well, they finally get to a point where they say, we need help. God, you're great. You'll be our God. We'll be your people. But can we have a king? Can we have somebody that we can see, like our neighbors? So God says, okay, it's not going to be great for you, but I'll do it. Then they get a king. The first king is who? Saul, okay? Saul kind of has an unhappy ending. So Saul gets replaced by David. That's right, that David. David and Goliath, David of the Psalms. David, the great king, a man after God's own heart. Well, then it goes Saul, David, then Solomon. That's right, that Solomon, the wise king. We attribute Proverbs and Ecclesiastes to him. And things are going okay until things get real bad. You see, after Solomon, the nation splits. They split into two. Confusingly, the northern kingdom keeps the name Israel. And most of the 12 tribes of Israel wind up in the northern kingdom, Israel. That leaves little Judah in the southern kingdom, which, it's important to note, has the temple and has Jerusalem. They live in Judea. That's where we get Jew and Jewish because they're going to have a happier history even though it still looks bleak but I'll get there in a minute. Back to the northern kingdom of Israel. I wrote down this word down here. Do you see it? It says prophets. Because while one king comes and one king goes, they're all kind of mucking things up. They're not so great. Guess what? The people aren't so great either. And so the prophets say, look, things are going to go real bad if you don't turn back to God and live his way. They're telling the kings, they're telling the people, and they're not listening. That's bad news because the prophets start to say, if you don't listen, 
God is going to remove his protection. He's going to let the fearsome superpowers come in and wipe you away. God's going to use these fearsome superpowers to teach you a lesson. Y'all see this? That is a fearsome superpower called Assyria that comes and teaches them a lesson. I wrote down that date, 722 B.C., that's when things get real bad for Israel. They get wiped out. The tribes get wiped out. It's bad news. Judah, however, dodges the bullet. So they keep going for another 140 years or so. You remember when we're counting BC, we're going backwards towards 0 AD or whatever. So in 586, however, a new fearsome superpower, Babylon, comes knocking on the door of Judah and they wipe out and destroy the temple, and they wipe out Jerusalem, and the people that survive get carried away in chains to Babylon, okay? Assyria knocked out Israel, 140 later, years later, Babylon knocks out Judah, and what the prophets had warned them about happens, exile. Exile's about, um, exile's about 70 years until the next superpower comes on, and Isaiah talks about it, and they let those people come back home to the rubble of their city. So the exile stories is Daniel, and then Ezra Nehemiah is the rebuilding from the rubble. That, my friends, is the story of the Old Testament, and I just stopped the timer at 6 o'clock. If I tried to do it again, I couldn't, but we did it, and somebody owes me a burrito from Chipotle, okay? I'm looking at you, Amy. Anyway, that's the story. Why is that so important? Number one, because it helps us understand all the dense history in one solid through line in the Bible that we love and cherish. The second reason it's important is you'll notice on my little dry erase board, I added the word Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is 66 chapters. It's a lot. It's beautiful. It's powerful. So much of the church uses Isaiah's oracles and sermons. But we need to understand something about Isaiah. Most biblical scholars agree that it's a book that spans all of this difficult, knocked-down, beat-up history of when Israel gets wiped out in the 700s, and then we get a long pause and then the story gets picked up in the second half of Isaiah after the exile. Let me tell you this way. Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 covers that warning for Israel in the 700s. That runs all the way to chapter 39 verse 8. Now, I've been talking about Isaiah 40, haven't I? I want you to imagine in your Bible, right there if you're looking at it, between Isaiah 39, verse 8, isn't that right, verse 8? Yep. And Isaiah 40, verse 1, there's about 200, maybe 140, 160, there's a lot of years in between. So they say the second half of Isaiah was collected later from second Isaiah, maybe his followers, his disciples, and we have this book that straddles the most difficult season of Israel's life. Chapters 1 through 39 
tells the story of judgment and loss, then there's a long pause between 39 and 40, and then all of a sudden, 40 bursts onto the scene, and he says, comfort. All of a sudden, after that long pause, it opens up the rest of the book of Isaiah that introduces hope and homecoming. Even though things stink now, God is going to give us comfort and strength to make it home. That's my story. Before we even look at Isaiah 40, we have to fully appreciate it when we hear those words after all of that knocked down, beaten up. Could you imagine what it would sound like, what it feels like to hear these words? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Hey, that exile, that time out, it's over. It's time to come home. Now, that was Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 2. Do you think they really believed it? After all these years, after living in Babylon, coming home, coming home to what? The rubble of Jerusalem? God, is it ever going to get better? Could you imagine them saying to God, hey, what about the headlines? One of the things I saw this week was an honest prayer in 2020. And it goes like this, dear God, what the heck? I mean, that's effectively what they're saying, right? Are you serious? Comfort? Timeout's over? I can come home? What home? Are you reading the headlines? I think the first thing to say in Isaiah chapter 40 is this. We've got to balance the circumstance and our headlines, the reality, against the deeper reality where we can listen to God's word and the Spirit's whisper because as God's people, there is always a reality underneath the reality. Let me tell you what I mean. Sometimes we can get so fixated on the headlines in Twitter and Facebook, and we see all of these things that we forget who holds the universe in his hands. Y'all think it's hard in 2020 for a few months? Imagine a few hundred years away from your homeland as refugees. We've got to trust that there is a reality a deeper work that may be unseen and mysterious that is the undercurrent of the reality that we see and hear. We are people of hope and homecoming even when we've experienced an exile. You hear me? Boy, I need reminding. When I hear comfort, I attach that question mark because it sounds too good to be true. Isaiah, are you just that optimistic friend? Because I got questions. That's the second piece of the puzzle. So the rest of the chapter is really grouped around three big questions that these people have for Isaiah. How can you be that optimistic? I've got questions. So let me illustrate our second movement of questions by telling you about the second car I ever had. Didn't see that coming, did you? Guess what? I had a 90s model Saturn as my second car 
It was forest green. It was a manual transmission. I got it from my aunt who graciously gave it to me. And between she and I, when that Saturn went out to pasture, that thing had 289,000 miles. Excuse me. Let me say that again. A Saturn from the 1990s had 289,000 miles on that thing. And let me tell you, when you're running that thing for 289,000 miles, you start to operate with a question in the back of your head that says, is this thing going to be the thing that does it, that finally ends it? Every time I turned it and that thing wouldn't start, I said, is this the end? Every time I had to fix that alternator, that battery, even replace a tire, is that it? Is that the straw that broke the Saturn camel's back? Now, all of this comes to a dramatic conclusion when I experience the clutch starting to go out. The clutch is the thing that makes sure you're in gear, reverse and driving, to actually move. Now, at what point in Israel's history, all that story that I just told you, are they saying, is this going to be it? Israel's wiped off the map. Is this going to be it? Okay, now Judah, Babylon's knocking on the door. Is this going to be it? Okay, now we're going into exile and Daniel, Shadrach, like, is this going to be it? Well, finally, we get to the fever pitch where we're like, we've been in exile for a long time. Now we're hearing comfort and homecoming. Well, how this worked for me in my 1990s Saturn was when that clutch was going out and I was up against it. I finally started to talk to my parents and said, look, I think that we've got to get something figured out. I was in college. I was broke as a joke. And so my parents gave me a word of comfort. <laughs> they said, let's go explore our options at a used car dealership. Let's go check it out. That's all I needed to hear. Just enough optimism to get me through. Well, I'm sitting in the driveway. And now the question is, will it start? started. Now the question is, can I get it in reverse? I got it in reverse. Okay, okay. Now every light, every mile, is it going to keep going or is it going to give out? These are the questions at every step of the journey. Even though I want to get to the dealership, even though things look good, I don't know if I'm even going to make it. The questions are percolating in Isaiah chapter 40. After a word of comfort, before an invitation for strength, we've got questions. If y'all have it open or, uh, or, or swiped there, look with me in verses 1 to 11. Maybe you recognize verses 3 to 5. Maybe you recognize that from the New Testament when John the Baptist is saying, look, God's constructing a superhighway here. The question underneath verses 1 to 11 is this. You ready? Does God even want to bring us home? Does God even want to get our car all the way to the dealership? Does God even want to bring us back? This, Isaiah says, is an emphatic yes. Comfort Super highway. I've got a message. 
but are we sure? Should I really say it? I mean, are humans even worth all that trouble? Verses 7 and 8. And then all of a sudden, verse 9. The clouds part and we hear a word of gospel. That's not just something baked into this text. This is the Hebrew equivalent of good news. You know what the message is? Look, God is here. Good news. For 2nd Isaiah, the hope and homecoming section, gospel is a major theme. And the good news is this. Look, God's right here. You thought he didn't want you anymore. He's here. No wonder John the Baptist quotes this when Jesus comes on the scene. Look, God is here. I think some of us just need to stop right there and internalize the message, the good news that God is here. Look, even now, would you dare to believe there's good news? I love verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with the mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. You've got that image of might. And then immediately, verse 11, there's an image of mercy. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The big question, does God even want to bring us home? Isaiah gives us an emphatic yes. He's carrying you even now close to his heart. Look, see him. He's mighty enough to do it. He's merciful enough to feed you, love you, and lead you. Some of us need to stop right here. And let the answer to that question be internalized in our bones because we're driving a car that we're not sure is going to make it. And we need to know that God wants you to make it. God wants you to keep on, even if it's hard and uncertain. The answer is yes, God wants you and he wants you to keep on. But then that sets up the second question that we really see being knocked down and addressed in verses 12 to 26. Would you just scan that? Because I don't have time to read the whole of it. You see all those rhetorical questions? You see all those imperatives to get up, to listen, to look? Who did this? Who did that? It's all a message that can be paraphrased or summarized in maybe like verse 25. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. One of Isaiah's favorite terms in his book. Who's like me? 12 to 26. Okay, but can God bring us home? Can God actually do it? Verses 12 to 26 says emphatically, yes, God can because God is bigger. You see, he's bigger than these idols. He's bigger than what you can make. He's bigger than all of these things. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He's basically saying this, and I want you to hear this. There is no alternative source of life in the world apart from God. There is no alternative source of life in the world apart from God. The psalmist will say, in him is the fountain of life, and from his light we see light. 
Paul will quote the philosophers of his day in the first century AD and say, in him we live and move and have our being. Paul will also say in Romans chapter 11, all things are from him and for him and through him. God is vast. God is big. There is no source of life in this world apart from him. Who is like him? No one. But man, do we look for all the alternatives. And they are cheap substitutes that may be a good little sugar rush burst, but they are not the source of comfort and strength that will get us through. Can God really do this? It's an emphatic Yes, God can because God's bigger. Get swept up into his story, his reality, his substance. Yes, God can. Yes, God wants to. The third question we see in the last section, verses 27 to 31. The last question is this. Okay, but will God bring us home? Will he? And of course, spoiler alert, it's an emphatic yes. I love verse 27 because it's, it's that kind of chastising like, are you for real right now? Verse 27 says, why do you complain, Jacob? And why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. That's kind of a stinging thing because they have every reason to complain, don't they? But it's because they've lost the plot and forgot that there's a reality under the reality. Why do you complain? It's like us, God, what the heck? I mean, there's some realness here. But the emphatic answer, will God, comes after this, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Listen to this, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Raise your hand if you're weary. Raise your hand if you're weak. There's a source of life here that's ready to give what he has and what you need. Verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be Faint. If that's not good news in Isaiah chapter 40, I don't know what is. Will God do it? There's an emphatic yes. Because here's why. Listen to this. God's bigness, God's vastness is matched by his attentiveness. This is a God who is attentive to the cries of the weary and the weak. We see this when he's embodied in the person of Jesus who says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are the meek and the merciful. God's bigness is matched by his attentiveness. Know that God hears you. God sees you even if you don't hear and see him. So the invitation finally as we close is to keep walking and seeking him. Some of you might say, man, that's really the end game for every one of these messages. But I got to tell you, we all need reminding, don't we? That's why those questions at the end of that section say, do you not know? Do you not remember 
But man, it's so easy to forget. So my car, right, the 90s Saturn, made it, and we were headed toward a dealership at 635 in Oats. I remember that because if I'm lying, I'm dying, this is how it went. I was 100 yards from the entrance of the dealership, and it was on the other side of the hill. The whole time I was worried if it would start, if it would get into reverse, and if it would make it all the way home. I'm cresting the hill, and I've never prayed harder for a vehicle in my life. Some of you are like, who prays for a vehicle? I did when I'm cresting the hill, wondering how much money they're going to give me for this car. Guess what? The clutch decides it's time, buddy, and it goes out. My car will not move forward. All I can do is slam on the brake, hit the parking brake, and lo and behold, what do I see? My parents meeting me at the dealership. My dad seeing and probably laughing at my Saturn who's given up the ghost. And in that moment, we were able together to get what I needed and push that vehicle into the dealership. I'll leave it to your imagination at what the salesmen thought as they rubbed their hands and licked their lips as they saw that resale value shrink. I probably got as much as a number one combo meal at McDonald's for that vehicle when you push it into the dealership and it won't go, right? But the point is we made it and we made it together. Because whatever the invitation is for you to stay connected to the source, it starts by understanding and admitting that you won't make it alone. Even youths grow weary and young men stumble and fall. You were not made to be a perpetual motion machine. You're going to burn out. Your engine will blow up. Your clutch will go. And this season of our life requires more intention, not less. It requires more responsibility to seek the face of the Lord, not less, because our environment is more draining and it will give you more weariness. So we need a reminder, don't we? We need a reminder to read a devotional every day. We need a reminder to pray for comfort and strength. We need a reminder to play, to disengage in healthy ways. You know there's a difference between healthy and unhealthy disengagement. What does it look like for you? Understand and admit you can't do it all on your own. We've got to pray. We've got to play. We've got to read devotionals, God's words. We've got to be connected to one another in our Bible studies in our church. What's filling your tank? What's God using to give you the strength and increase that you need? Lean into it. Be reminded of it. That's why I love this as we close. Y'all see this? It's a needlepoint that my late grandmother made years and years and years ago. I just recently came by it, and it's Isaiah 40, 31. 
They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's your reminder? This is one of mine. Maybe I'll give you one. Write down Psalm 105 verse 4. If you want to mount up on wings like eagles and run and walk and not be faint, maybe start there with Psalm 105.04. Maybe let that be your reminder. Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face always. What's going to remind you to seek His face? How are you going to seek His face? That's the invitation. You can't do it, but strength is on offer here. Because the story of Israel shows us that when you don't think you're going to make it, God doesn't give up. There's a reality underneath the reality. And even when you've got those questions, does God even want me? Does God even want to bring me home? The answer is yes. Can God do it? Yes. Will God do it? Yes. So that leaves the invitation. How are you seeking his face? What is it you need to put in your tool belt this week? Let me remind you, get to it. You can't run alone. You need the source. So may you mount up on wings like eagles. May you walk and not be faint. May you run and not grow weary. For he who has called you surely will give you what you need when you need it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, be blessed and go in peace. Amen.